Psalm 63, praise God who satisfies a Davidic psalm when he was in the wilderness of Judah. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will praise you as long as I live. At your name I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. But those who seek to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become the jackal's prey. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast. For the mouth of liars will be shut. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Megan. Well, good day. My name is James, uh, one of the ministers here. Uh, let me invite you next week. Uh, we're going to have straight away after church uh, a barbecue lunch. Uh, so please stick around for that as we kick off the year in terms of kids' church starting. We, we're going to kick off with one Thessalonians, looking at dearly loved uh, a church that is encouragement 2,000 years ago and still today. And uh, so invite you to that next Sunday. Let me pray as we look at Psalm 63. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the good things of life. For summer, for warmth, for the beach, for family and friends, Lord. And uh, we ask now as we come to your word that we would look again to what you have said and spoken to us. And that we would not have blocked ears but open ears. Not closed hearts but open hearts to what you want to say to us this morning. Amen. The closest I've ever come to a desert is when I went to barren grounds. Uh, barren grounds lives up to its name. It is barren. There's nothing there. Uh, I went there with my grandfather. We went bird watching. We were looking for the ground parrot. You're probably thinking, this is my kind of day, right? <laughs> to, to seal the deal, it's a, uh, it was very hot. It was 30 degrees climbing up to 40. No shade, nothing. So we set out in this adventure. It's just a 2K walk. And uh, as we were walking along, halfway through, we realized we'd left the water back in the car. That's all right, just a K more. But we get walking, 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 come to this fork in the road. There's no signs. It's barren grounds after all, right? There's no signs. And I'm with my grandfather. He's walked this before, but he has just beginning, the beginnings of dementia. And so he's saying, we go this way. I'm like, all right. Okay, he's done this before, let's just go that way. It wasn't comforting when he started to say, this doesn't look familiar, or they've changed the path. I'm pretty sure they've changed it. Anyway, we keep walking and walking, and I'm getting hot and it's sweating, and we're just, all right, let's just keep going. It's just, it's just around this corner, it's just around this corner. And then he slips, my grandfather. 
oh, and then we've got to put him, I've got to carry him, we've got to walk bit by bit. Anyway, eight kilometers later, we get to the car. And there it is, that water bottle. It's warm. Oh, but gee, it was good. Pouring that into your mouth, it was a great moment. And by the way, we didn't see the ground parrot. But water, particularly when you need it the most, gee, it's satisfying, isn't it? Gee, it's good, and we need it to survive. uh, David is in a desert. He doesn't have food, doesn't have water. But the thing that he wants more, the thing he longs for is what? Verse 1, God, you're my God, you're my God, I eagerly seek you. Now, David has lost everything, right? David, who wrote this psalm, this song, thousands of years ago, he's lost everything. His job, his comforts, his pleasures, the basic things of life, and the thing he wants most is God himself. But more than that, words such as joyful, satisfied, and rejoice come from his lips. I've not met met too many people who say, I'm joyful, I'm satisfied when in a desert, right? But they're coming from his lips. And the real wow moment is verse 3. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life itself. David in this psalm seems to have this, and this is the main point. He has a satisfaction in life despite the circumstances around him. He has a contentment, a joy, regardless of the world that he's in. My question, I presume yours is, how does he get that? How does he get that? How can you have a satisfaction in life that is not based on the circumstances that you're in? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, so that we don't dismiss David's experience here, we need to have a look at where he's at, what, what, what circumstances he's in. We know from verse 1 that he's in a desert. It's described like this. In a land, verse 1, that is dry, desolate, and without water. Now, if you were on Airbnb and that was the blurb for the accommodation, you wouldn't stay there, right? Dry, desolate, without water. It's not appealing. And a desert, like no other environment, exposes what's really important in life. You know, when you're young, and they'd say, if you were on a deserted island, and you could only take three things, what would they be? You know, when I was young, I'd say, a Bible, because I felt like that was a Christian answer. Uh, I'd take my Pokemon cards and chocolate. Now, from that answer, you realize I've never been on a deserted island, right? But it, it, it exposes the things that are important to you. And for David, it reveals what is underneath, what's truly important when he's in the desert. But the reason David is in a desert is not because the tour guide got it wrong. It's not like he looks up and says, this wasn't on the brochure. Like, he's not here by accident, but he's here because of a family breakdown. See, his son, Absalom, came into the city which he was in, and he led a revolt. And he wanted to take over, take his dad's job, and then kill him. He thought, your family's dysfunctional. His son wanted to end his life, David's thinking. And it forced David to flee to the desert beyond Jordan. And yet, though David has lost everything and lost such a close personal relationship with his own son, he still is joyful. 
is satisfied. Now, as we read this psalm, as it read to us, I don't know about you, but I feel a bit uncomfortable. You know, I look at verse 1, where David says, I thirst for you, my body faints for you. Um, last year, as a staff, we did a, a strengths or a character assessment of each of the staff. And uh, everyone in the staff had spirituality in their top 10, except for me. It was in my top 30, but spirituality as a character is, is, was not my strength. So I'm sorry for that. I don't know, you've got an unspiritual pastor. But, um, so I was a bit confused by that, right? But I realized bit by bit, as I read sounds like this, I get a bit uncomfortable. You know, it's like when someone brings out the guitar, the bonfire. I'm like, oh, no, nah, I don't want it. You know, like... That's not me. And I read a psalm like this, and I'm like, I wouldn't use these words. But, I might not use these words, but I want what David's got. I want that though he has lost everything, everything has been stripped away from him, he still has this delight, this passion, this longing for God. Reminds me of that lady, Joni Erickson, who at age 17 was in terrible accident. From the neck down, she can't move. But not only that, she got stage three breast cancer as well. Knock after knock after knock. And yet, when I read her stuff, we read her writing, she has this delight, this passion in God that I want. I, I'm almost jealous for. She says, along with King David, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life itself. I want to be able to say that. It's interesting, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, Maisie read it to us in John 4, and uh, they were at a well, and they got talking about the topic of water, as you do. And Jesus offers her a a living water, a, a water that will never make you thirsty again. And she wants in. She wants this, this satisfaction, this, this contentment, this never-ending source of water. But before Jesus offers it to her, tells her where it's found, he asks a question. He said, well, where do you currently get it from now? What wells in life are you currently looking at, drinking from, to, to satisfy, to meet your needs? Because Jesus presumes that all of us are thirsty, and we're all looking at things in this world to have our dreams met, be fulfilled, be satisfied, be happy. But the reality is they keep letting us down. There's obvious ones, right? Like, like shopping or like uh, books or movies. Uh, I think of Marvel movies with the superheroes, which is basically, you know, adults, particularly grown men, justifiably watching car- comic books because it's rated M. But I just think, and I watch these Marvel movies, I look forward to it. I think this is going to be it. This one is going to be great. And you watch it. Cool. Next one. And you watch the trailers. What's coming next? He's never satisfied. But they're obvious ones, right? What Jesus is going for, he's going for the deeper ones. For this woman at the well, it was relationships that she went to. It was in relationships that she wanted to find meaning and and happiness and, and satisfaction And she never found it. So she had not one but five husbands churning through them because they weren't giving her what she wanted. I'm going to give you two examples 
uh, from my life, and I think also from King David's as well, funnily enough, before I get you to reflect on what's yours. The first one for me is my children. I've got Audrey and Grace. Love them to bits. But it's interesting, when they were born, I mean, I was over the moon when they were born, but there was something in that moment, almost at the back of your throat, which I, I thought it would be more than this. I thought I would be more happy than I am. I was happy, but there was something in the back of your throat, which, and it happens at every significant moment of my life, right, where I thought, I thought it would be better than this. And it scared me that. But in the end, I realized that was actually a good thing from God telling me that don't make your children the center of your life. Don't make them where you, you, all your dreams are pinned on them. Your happiness, your hope is tied up with them. Because two things are inevitable. One is you'll crush them. Because you want them to be a certain way act a certain, do certain things, and if they don't, you get angry, or you get annoyed, or you get anxious. And because you're trying to get from them something they cannot give, and in the end, you crush them. Or, you're crushed. Because if they leave you, if they forget about you, if they don't talk to you, you feel devastated. Because you put so much in, and you're getting nothing back. David knows what it's like. I mean, his son tried to kill him. And he knows children are a very dangerous place to get your ultimate satisfaction in life from. And the solution is not, it's not like David said, well, the hell with my son. Who cares about him? Wash your hands. No, no, no. The solution is not loving your kids less. It's, if you have them, it's loving God more. The other thing I find in my life is, is work. Uh, you, you, my job. So whether it's a minister or as a high school teacher, there was something very similar about them. The similarities was this. If I pinned who I was, my identity, my, my hope on my job, then it would always let me down. Because on a good day, it'd go to my head. I'd think, I'm pretty good at this. But it'd leave me anxious. How long will it last? If it was a bad day, I'd feel like a failure. I think, what's the point? It was like this roller coaster. Because I pinned so much of who I was on my job. King David knows this. He's lost his. He knows that a job is a dangerous place to get your satisfaction in life from. But he says in verse 11, something that's a bit odd. He says... But the king will rejoice in God. Now, that doesn't mean, it's not like saying, you know, the lawyer, the, the doctor, the, the plumber, whoever, the teacher that I am will rejoice. No, no, no. It's not a career there, but it's a calling. If you have a look at 2 Samuel 7, there is a promise to David, a promise of unconditional love, that whether it's a good day or a bad day, I will be your God, and nothing will separate me from you. And as Christians, our calling, we're called sons and daughters of God. And whether it's a good day or a bad day, nothing will change that. So let me ask you, I'm going to ask you six questions to get you thinking about where is in your life, which wells, as it were, do you try and 
quench your thirst, your, your satisfaction, your treasures in life. First is this. What is it that would really make you happy? Secondly, what do you worry about most? Thirdly, what do you use to comfort yourself when things go bad or get difficult? Fourthly, what do you daydream about? Early on, what do you want to make sure that people know about yourself? And lastly, what if you lost, would you consider thinking it's not worth living anymore? So those questions, if you reflect on them, get to the heart of where do we run to in life? It might be money, it might be sex, it might be power, it might be music, it might be our relationships, our family, our job, whatever it might be, there's something you run to. And it's always going to let us down. Because it wasn't meant to give us what we thought it could give us. I'm going to ask Charlie and Lucy to come up to help me with a bit of an illustration. You guys want to come up? So, where if you go for a run, right? Uh, stand on this side, girl. Up on this side. If you go for a run, right, you're thirsty. Now, if you... There's multiple options what you could do in that moment, right? You have a run, you're quenched, you're sweaty, you get idea. There's a number of things you could have in that moment. You could have this, you know, that Coca-Cola, right? Now, is that going to quench your thirst? It will for a moment, but it's not going to last. You'll be thirsty, even more thirsty. Now, you could have, what's that? Bread. You could have bread, but is that going to help? No, it's probably going to make it worse. You could have, what's that? Dettol. That's going to be devastating, right? Put that in your mouth and it's going to make things worse. So you could have all these, but in the end, they're not going to quench your thirst. Why? Because we weren't designed to have these things to quench our thirst. What we were, what were we? Water. Water, we're made up of, I don't know how much percentage of water, it always seems to change, but we're made up of water, a lot of it. And water is the thing that will quench our thirst. We need it to not only survive, but to thrive. You can put them in there. Thanks, girls. You did a good job. When it comes to life, we were designed for God to be our source of satisfaction. He is the only one big enough, strong enough, loving enough for us to draw upon. Everywhere else we'll go, we'll always, wanting, we'll always end up wanting more. Because it wasn't there. They can't give it us what we want. When it came to the woman at the well with Jesus, and he disclosed where this living water, this water that satisfies, he says it's not in a place, but it's in a person. Jesus Christ, God himself. See, the Samaritan woman, King David, and us, We need God. And as Jesus was on that cross, he said the words, I'm thirsty. And people thought, quickly, get him a bit of water. 
But he wasn't really talking about water. He was talking more so about the fact that as he was on the cross, he was denying himself, emptying himself, sipping suffering so that we could taste joy. Joni Erickson, who I mentioned before, the quadriplegic, says this, Jesus went without comfort so that you may have it. He postponed joy so that you may share in it. He willingly chose isolation so that you may never be alone. He had no real fellowship so that fellowship might be yours. This alone is enough cause for great gratitude. See, everything we turn to will let us down, but Jesus will not. If money is a source of your satisfaction, your ultimate treasure, and it goes, you'll lose meaning. But Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. If the center of who you are is a relationship and that person leaves you, walks out on you, you'll be devastated. But you know that you've walked out on Jesus and he gave his life for you. If your body, your health is what brings you ultimate joy and it breaks down, you'll feel ugly. But Jesus' body was broken for you so that you would be the most beautiful thing in his sight. (coughs) What I love about this psalm is one moment David is saying, God, I eagerly seek you. I want you. I want you. I want you. And the next... He's saying, there's still problems, though, in my life. Life is not rosy colored. You know, it's not perfect. He says in verse 6, When I think of you as I lie in bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. Those night watches are guards taking shifts. He's up night worrying about the things of this world. Verse 9, Those who seek to destroy my life will go to the depths of the earth. There's still people who want to do him harm. That love about the Psalms is they honor the reality of life. That just because you seek God first doesn't mean things are going to be perfect. There's still worries, still trials, but David knows he needs to seek God and God does not disappoint. So I'll end by giving you three practical things of how you can grow as a Christian in your satisfaction for God. The third is outside of our control. The first is this, is fasting. Christians in the Western world, we don't do this often, but fasting is where you intentionally abstain from eating, almost like creating your own little desert, right? Now, just abstaining from eating is not fasting, that's called dieting, but fasting is where you abstain from eating in order to grow in your joy for Jesus. So as you miss a meal, maybe once a day or once a week or once a month, as you physically are hungry, you use that hunger to hunger for God. Maybe take a verse like verse 3 of Psalm 63 and to, to meditate on it, to, to think about that. Let that satisfy you. I encourage you, if you're pregnant or if you have an eating disorder or if, you, or if you're not in full health, I wouldn't do this, but if you're, in full, if you're healthy, then fasting is actually a good thing to do as a Christian in where physically you're hungry and that hunger, that thirst drives you to want to know Jesus more. The second thing is self-control. This is where you intentionally limit something. See, once you find out uh, the things that you run to, the treasures that you seek after, often they're good things, right? But it's self-control is 
controlling them, not letting them dictate, control your life. So say, for example, if, it's, uh, if you long to look after holidays or travel, self-control is where you're saying, you know what? I'm actually going to limit the amount of time that I spend looking at brochures or online. And I'm going to say, you don't control my joy. I'm actually satisfied with what I have now. If money is the place you go, then when you go shopping online or in the shops, whatever, you look at your wallet, you say, I'm boss. And I'm actually not going to, I could buy it, but I'm not going to buy it. I'm in control. When it comes to, uh, you know, looking at Instagram is the big one, right? Where you scroll through and you see other people's worlds, their bodies, their, what they're eating, what they, where they're traveling, what they look like. And it can breed this dissatisfaction in us. Self-control is saying, you know what? I'm actually going to limit the amount of time I look at it or delete it. And say, that is not where I'm going to find my joy, my satisfaction in life. Because it's never going to be fulfilling. Self-control is denying yourself, limiting things so that you can have a greater freedom, a greater delight in God who will meet your needs. The third thing, as I said, is outside of our control. It's those moments in life, a real desert experience where the treasures, the good things in life go, either through uh, bankruptcy, theft, maybe death, maybe suffering, and the things you love go. And you realize what's truly important in those moments. Some of you have had them. Some of us will have them. But here's the thing. God sends everyone he loves through a desert. He did it with Joseph, with Moses, with the Israelites. He did it with his own son, Jesus Christ. God sends those he loves through a desert. Because there in the desert, you realize what is truly important what will truly meet your needs, what you were designed for, to know God and to seek after Him. And it is there in the desert that we can say, God, your faithful love is better than life itself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us satisfaction in you. We want to thank you for the many good gifts that you've given us to enjoy. But we want you to be the most gratifying feast of our hearts, our portion, our passion, our treasure. Forgive our ingratitude and our envy, Lord. We so often forget that we are your children, your sons, your daughters of grace, your beloved. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you, we would see by faith your constant love, that it is better than life itself. And Lord God, we would seek after you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.